Please open your Bibles this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. I want to thank those men that just read the scriptures to us. Those are wonderful passages. Of course, the whole Word of God is wonderful. But those were wonderful passages describing a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and Him coming soon in vengeance on His enemies and with blessing on those that believe Him and admire Him. I hope you're looking forward to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for you to admire Him as Second Thessalonians 1 declared to us. The world doesn't know Him right now as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is a mystery of the kingdom of heaven, of which there are hundreds in the New Testament. They are ignorant. They think that the United Nations might have some degree of influence in the earth. They know not the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They might think that the President of the United States is the most powerful figure on earth. They don't know the blessed and only potentate. And that passage that was read to us by our brother Keith... It says that He shall show in His times that He is the blessed and only potentate. Brethren, He is waiting to show who He truly is. And we shall rejoice. And they will call for the rocks and the mountains to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want to read a few verses to you. This is the lengthy chapter describing David and Goliath. And I want to use it only to get started. But it gives us a wonderful lesson of how David was different from most men. We want to be different from most men. We want to be like David. Even you women can desire to be female incarnations of the heart of David in loving God and loving righteousness and being valiant for His cause. I want to read at verse 20, down through verse 29, the story of David and Goliath. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches." And will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? The most important words in the context leading up to that question are the words, David heard them. Now this Goliath of Gath, Goliath the Gittite, the champion of the Philistines, had been defying the armies of Israel for days. Israel had heard the words, and men had done nothing. They were not moved by the fact that this man was defying the God of Israel and the armies of Israel. But David heard them this time. When David heard the words, something happened inside, as something should happen inside us when we hear the word of God about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the lesson for today, but we can't quit quite yet. That's the lesson. Is there not a cause? We have a cause to live and to die for. And I want to show that from the New Testament Scriptures, but I want to get the lesson from David. David heard the words of this Philistine, pagan, ignorant, depraved, profane, haughty, and arrogant, blaspheming his God, threatening to destroy his place of worship and God's inheritance. And when he heard them, something snapped inside. And something ought to snap inside us when we hear the Lord Jesus Christ reviled. When we hear his worship opposed, we ought to be angry and righteously indignant and want to take a stand for the truth. David did that. David loved Israel's God and all that pertained to him and would not put up with that Philistine dog. David was a man after God's own heart. Are you this morning after God's own heart? Do you get upset when anyone says anything against the God of the Bible or against the Bible itself or against the worship of God or against the faith once delivered to the saints? Do you get upset when you see all the inventions that are brought into the churches today, are you angered by the carnal and worldly approach of most Christians toward living? We ought to be. How much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? How much does your love of Him drive your life? Is there not a cause? There was a cause why I left Michigan National Bank of Detroit to come to Greenville. There was a cause. I'm nothing. The cause is everything. The cause is the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a cause this morning that caused you people to drive past the World Redemption Outreach Center, our city's largest church, and Brookwood, our city's second largest church, to come here to one of its smallest. Is there not a cause? And there's a cause. We're trying to hold the apostolic faith once delivered to the saints. They make no claim to it, and they certainly aren't doing it. There's a cause. 
the way that we worship this morning, there's a cause. When the service ends and you have the opportunity to love your brothers and sisters, there is a cause. Because your brothers and sisters are the blood-bought sons and daughters of the God of heaven. Through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a cause. The cause of the Lord Jesus Christ should affect and pervade every part of our lives. If we get a grip for the cause, and the cause is the noble cause of the New Testament Scriptures, we have a cause to stand for, to live for, and to even die for. David was willing to take on Goliath, and he did it most cheerfully. The Bible tells us he ran to meet Goliath. He didn't wait for Goliath to come to him. He went to get Goliath. Because he was going to shut the mouth of that blasphemer against the God of Israel. There is a cause. Brethren, you are a week older than the last time I stood here and addressed you. What has your cause been for the last week? Most men live without a cause. Their lives are empty of purpose, and they only provide worm food. Do you understand that, children? Most men live to provide worm food. Because they're going to be buried in the ground and the worms are going to eat them. They get up in the morning and go to work. They provide for their family. And they hope to retire someday. And all of that is no more than what the brute beasts do for their young. You say, I didn't know they retire. Ever read about hibernation? Just thought I'd make some little comparison there with the brute beasts. Most men come into this world, live 70 years of getting up, going to school for a few, going to work for a lot, and then dying and becoming worm food. God in heaven, nor men on earth, have any regard for them. They don't change a single thing. There's nothing noble or valuable about their existence at all. In fact, it's a disgrace that they breathe the air that God created. Most men have no cause. And we are a disgrace to our race if we live in such a way. The rest of men live for causes that are ridiculous. They live for causes that Solomon would say, after trying all the causes in the universe, vanity of vanities. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. The rest of men live for causes like the spotted owls of Oregon. I'm going to make it my life's ambition to protect the spotted owls of Oregon from those lumberjacks that keep chopping down trees. I'm thankful they chop down trees and they send those trees to Scott Paper, who makes Scott tissue on rolls. Because God said to have dominion over His creation. And if we can use trees to make a certain room in our house more comfortable than our grandfather's, then praise be to God for creating those trees. They're living for a cause that is ridiculous. You know, that. what if they were to say world peace? My purpose for joining the Peace Corps is world peace. Well, we have the answer to that, don't we? There isn't going to be world peace. Until he burns everything up, then it's going to be quite peaceful. The Lord's going to make peace and quiet. 
And he's going to do it the way that he's chosen to do it. And he's going to burn this place up. You know, others might say that they want universal literacy. Why would you want everyone in the world literate to read the junk that's coming off the presses today? They'd be better off if they were illiterate. Some aim for wealth. Some worry about health. Some look to see how many degrees they can get and all of its vanity to the God of heaven. Brethren, there is a cause. Do you know what the cause is? And are you living for the cause? There's a purpose for your life. There's a grand goal for your life. There is something for your life that can energize you and excite you and give you something to live for and make your life a blessing in the earth and make your life noble in the sight of God and good men. And it's the cause of the God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. And I'll elaborate more on it in a moment. David understood that cause. David was unlike other men. Most men are all wrapped up in their little lives and their little retirement. The rest of the soldiers in Israel's army were thinking more about their 401k plan. And they didn't want their wife to get it today by going out to face Goliath. David went after Goliath. And he said, is there not a cause? How can I stand here when that Philistine is blaspheming my God? Now David saw two things. David saw the Philistine blaspheming his God, but David also saw King Saul had offered quite a reward. Did you read those, that reward that he mentions in verse 25? The man who kills Goliath, the king will enrich him with great rich riches. Does that sound like a 3% pay raise from work? To be enriched with great riches? And will give him his daughter. You get to be the king's son-in-law and make his father's house free in Israel. Your father's family tree will live tax-free. Nice. David said with those two things, he's blaspheming our God and the king's offered all these rewards. What are you men doing? Lord, help us. You know, without His grace and without reminders like this morning, simple, simple sermon, without simple reminders like this morning, we're like the men of Israel. We get up, we go to work, we provide for our families, we come home, we die, and we become worm food. Lord, help us to live for a cause. Is there not a cause? There is a grand and noble cause. Brethren, If Japanese kamikaze pilots would die for an effeminate emperor, for an island of rock, in a lost cause, why can't we live for the king of kings? If Muslim terrorists will blow themselves up for the moon god of the Arabians, following an infantile book written by an illiterate nomad, Why can't we live for the Lord of Lords and follow the Bible written by the Creator God of Heaven? If priests and nuns can take vows of celibacy and poverty for the devilish lies of Roman Catholicism, why can't we be zealous for the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? They are following their causes. They're all vain causes, foolish causes, empty causes. We have the true cause. Lord, help us to follow it with zeal. You know, we could go through the Bible and look at all sorts of other men. You remember Phinehas. Did Phinehas understand the cause? He stood in a prayer meeting 
while the rest of the nation wanted to pray about something. They wanted to pray about all the fornication and adultery and whoremongering that was going on in Israel. And while they were in their prayer meeting, there's a tent shaking over there a ways away, and Phinehas knows that there's fornication going on inside it. He grabs himself a spear and goes into that tent and impales both of them. And there's a chapter in the Bible written about him, and he's remembered again in Psalm 106 as a great man in the sight of God. God came down to Moses and said, I am going to bless Phinehas and his son and his son's son and his son's son's son and his son's 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 son even forever for his zeal which he hath shown for the Lord of hosts. Stop standing still. There's a cause to live for. There's a cause to fight for. There's a cause to live and to die for. Lord, help us to be as zealous. You know there's many other men. Caleb, when Caleb got to the land of Canaan, did Caleb want to retire? He was 85. He was 85 years old. I would think that you'd want to retire about that time. But what did Caleb do? He asked for a promotion. Moses, it was Joshua, speaking on behalf of Moses. Caleb said, Joshua, Remember when we came as spies into this land and the ten spies went back and told the people what a terribly frightening place it was and that there were giants in here. Remember? Well, you know and I know that all the giants live in that mountain. Give me this mountain. Amen. Let this be the inheritance of my family. I myself will take on these giants that the whole nation was afraid of and so they were dropped dead in the wilderness. That was Caleb. We could give many examples like that. You know them. You know what the Old Testament is written for? That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. We love those Bible stories and Bible stories are good things to build our faith and understand that there is a cause to live for and there are other men that went before us that lived for that cause. And they were afraid of nothing. Thank you Lord for such stories. Look at Psalm 119 with me. And let's take a study in the minutes that we have of the cause that God has called us to. Is there not a cause? When your children ask, why can't I watch that? Is there not a cause? Why can't I go with so-and-so? Is there not a cause? There's a cause, and it should affect our whole lives. Psalm 119, 139. My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Psalm 119, verse 139. My zeal hath consumed me. Do you ever get eaten up about the things that are being done wrong in our world, and especially by those that claim the name of Christ? Does it eat you up? Does it bother you? Does it tear you up? Does it get you angry? You can't be like Phinehas and David if you just sit around and pray about it. You can't be like Phinehas and David if you're just going to get slightly disturbed. You need to get angered by it. And you need to take a stand for it. And you need to make your life different from those lives. And you need to help me make this church different from their churches. Not for our praise. Not for our honor. Not for our glory. But for His cause. 
Is there not a cause? But the greatest cause, my dear brothers and sisters, is the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Poor David. And I say poor David, though he was blessed abundantly, and though the Lord Jesus Christ came out of his loins, poor David, he did not get to live in the New Testament like we are. David may be in heaven, but he never got to live in the New Testament like we are at this moment. All he had to fight for was Jehovah as he was known in the Old Testament. The great and dreadful God of the Hebrews, who had his worship in the tabernacle and then the temple, who required blood sacrifices of animals. We have it so much better. We have so much more to fight for. Look at Isaiah 9. These are the most popular verses in the Old Testament, maybe. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That is the New Testament kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ because it declares Jesus sitting on David's throne and righteousness and judgment and justice being executed in the earth And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We are part of that prophecy. The Lord Jesus Christ is our king and we are in his kingdom under his government. And he is ruling the nations with a rod of iron, dashing them in pieces until he comes finally to burn them up and deliver up the kingdom to God. This is our cause. It's greater than anything that David ever had. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Let's now find our hero of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6. And our hero of the New Testament is the apostle to the Gentiles. Our beloved brother Paul. Did Paul have a cause? We had a brother read to us from Acts chapter 26. When he stood on trial before King Agrippa. Was he ashamed of his cause? Was he ashamed of his cause when the governor said that he was mad? Not at all. Not at all. Galatians chapter 6. Here is what Paul would write about his cause. Galatians 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The cause of the Apostle Paul was the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Son of God came and laid down His life as a substitutionary sacrifice for the elect. And that transaction, which resulted in Paul's adoption as a Son of God, totally changed his life. The world was crucified unto him. To crucify something is to put it to death. All that's in the world... All the cartoons, all the television, all the parties, all the sports, all of that stuff became dead to Paul. And then Paul said, I'm crucified to the world. 
They look at me and see nothing attractive about me. I am nothing in their sight. It works both ways. It's a two-edged sword when you live the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he guarantees it, which I'll show you in a moment. This is Paul's cause. God forbid that I should glory. I don't want to be excited about anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Let's read more about Paul's attitude toward life. Paul didn't get up in the morning, struggle off to work, come home, turn the TV on and read the newspaper, and become worm food. Paul didn't do anything like that. Paul had a cause, and so he ran himself ragged for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at how he puts it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul said, I want to with all boldness and at all times magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it is by living or by dying. Now he's writing that in prison. It's easier to say that when you're not in prison. He wrote it while he was in prison. He was not afraid of dying at the hands of the Roman emperor. But notice his cause to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. What's a simple definition for magnify? You know what you use magnifying glass for. To make little things bigger, right? Is that what you use a magnifying glass for, David? You use a magnifying glass to make little things bigger. And so when we magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, we make Him as big and as large as possible by describing Him to others and talking about Him to others and singing His praise and going where we can to tell about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul magnified him, and he said, If I magnify him by my death, and the martyrs did magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know there's a way to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in death. When you're asking God to forgive those that are killing you, lighting the fire at your feet and burning your body, which is the most painful way to go, while when you're singing praise to Him, that's a way to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ even in death. But look at the Apostle Paul. He had a cause. Is there not a cause? What are you alive for? Is there not a cause to live for? Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. There's many verses here that we could read. But look at what he says about his great accomplishments leading up to his conversion. In verse 7 he says, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That was his cause that I can win the approval and favor and blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to describe how he was going to run his race, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul lived his life with a cause, and you and I must live our lives with a cause as well. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. David had the cause of Israel 
and the worship of God under the Old Covenant. Paul had the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. Some of you read Philippians chapter 2 last night in preparation. And look what it says here about how Paul transferred his cause to a young man named Timothy. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Notice, Paul had convinced and helped another young man, a young man, to have that same cause that he had. He did not have anyone else that was like-minded, that thought the same way he thought. And that was to put the Lord Jesus Christ first and the care of the churches first. Every other man cared about himself. They cared what they were making. They cared how comfortably they were living. But Timothy cared for the people of God as did his teacher, Paul. Brethren, we have a glorious cause. And the cause should affect... What do you get up for in the morning? To go to work? What a stupid reason to get up. That's not enough by itself. Why do you get up in the morning? Because there is a cause worth living for. There is a cause worth going to work for. And the cause worth going to work for is more than making enough money to buy peanut butter for the children. The cause worth getting up for and going to work is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ on the job. To serve the Lord Jesus Christ by making money to be able to have to give to others. That's the highest motivation there is, to get up and to go work hard. It's not just to provide for your family. That's an incredibly selfish little person that never amounts to anything in the sight of God or men. The Bible tells me this, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have plenty of peanut butter and a few toys out back. What does it say? That he may have to give to him that needeth. Amen. That's looking at the everything you do in your life has a cause and a purpose when Jesus Christ is first. Do you know how that changes your motives and your outlook on everything? You are going to work, even for the financial reward, is to be able to give to others in the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 4.28 tells us that. The cause is glorious. What do you get up for in the morning? Every day should be to glorify God and to live for the cause of Jesus Christ. Everything that comes your way in a day, you can do it. Is there not a cause? When your mother asks you to do something you don't want to do, how many times a day does that happen? Don't answer. When your mother asks you to do something you don't want to do, there is an answer that you can say inside. Is there not a cause? There is a cause to obey your mother. And that cause is the Lord Jesus Christ, whose wholesome words are these. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And that is how you live the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not going to get to take on a 9-foot, 9-inch giant with a slingshot. 
Most of you don't know what a sling is, so I'll leave that alone. David Taylor can show you. He's shown you before. You're not going to get to fight a giant like that, but you have quite a few giants, don't you? Those giants, the temptations that come our way, and we can fight them the same way that David did by, is there not a cause? And getting indignant against the thought of giving in to any temptation. Our cause is glorious, brethren. We're worshiping the true Jehovah God. Can you believe that Egyptians would use their bodies as grease to move granite blocks to make pyramids? They would sacrifice themselves for their believed king God, the Pharaoh. Unbelievable. We have the true and the living God to worship. If they're willing to do that for their cause, if kamikaze pilots were willing to die for no cause at all, can we live for the Lord Jesus Christ? We have the true God, His glorious Son, Jesus Christ, the truth of the universe contained in the Bible, redemption from our sins, adoption as the sons of God, immortality as our reward, eternal heaven as our final resting place, and we will participate in final and ultimate victory over all enemies. That is a cause. No one else in the history of the world has even had a fractional, infinitesimally small fraction of that cause. And yet, they're willing to live for their cause. They're willing to die for their causes. They're willing to take vows of poverty and celibacy for their causes. Can we make some commitments in our hearts this morning that I am going to live for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and whether by life or by death, I'm going to magnify Him. Whether I eat or drink or whatsoever therefore I do, I am going to do to the glory of God and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do that? This is why we're assembled today. To be reminded of this. This is why we worship. It's to come together into one place and to provoke one another that this is the reason for living. This is why God has saved us. He wants us to be living for Him. We have a glorious cause we ought to live for. Look at John chapter 2. The Lord Jesus Christ. Did He know the cause? And did He live for the cause? And when I say the words cause, you know, I'm hoping that in your minds you know I mean only one thing. And that is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and righteousness. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the cause. And all these things will be added unto you. I'm not talking about the John Birch Society. I'm not talking about the Boy Scouts of America. I'm not talking about the PTA or PETA or any other organization with worldly ambitions of any sort. We're talking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ whereby we seek to magnify Jesus Christ and live out His righteousness. John chapter 2, verse 13 tells us the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when He had made a cord, when He had made a scourge of small cords, He drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep, and the oxen and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. The disciples stood in awe as the Lord Jesus Christ 
sat down and took some cords and made himself a scourge. And then he violently drove the money changers out of the temple, accusing them of turning his father's house into a den of merchandise. And then drove out the oxen and tipped over their tables. And notice the apostles looked at that and said, I remember Psalm 69.9. I'll tell you, it wasn't because they had memorized the verse, it was because the Holy Spirit told them, Psalm 69 and verse 9, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Does the zeal of God's house eat you up? Is this the most important place that you want to be? Do the people that frequent this place, are they the most important people in your life? Is the worship of God and preparing for that worship the most important ambition you have? Is the Lord's Supper next Sunday so important that you are driven to make sure that you come to that table with clean hands and a pure heart? Does the zeal of God's house eat you up? Second Corinthians chapter 5. The cause is glorious. Let me read a few verses to you, beginning at verse 9. This is our brother Paul. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. That is, present here in the body or absent from the body and present with the Lord. Whether here or in heaven, we labor that we may be accepted of him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A lengthy passage, but there's three things in there, that passage, I want you to get. First of all, the apostle knew that he was going to give an account of his whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a cause. That's a cause to prepare for that account giving that you're going to make. You can't avoid it. Number two, in verse 14, the love of Christ constrained him. The love of Christ stressed him, pressed him, pushed him, and guided and directed him to give his life in service for Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ had died for him. He reasons very carefully. This is so logical, verses 14 and 15. If Jesus Christ died then those that He died for should live for Him. Doesn't that make sense to you? 
It made sense to Paul, and the Holy Spirit here inspired him to write it to us, and it should make sense to us. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us to save us from the consequences of our sin. We should be willing to live for Him, as verses 14 and 15 describe. And then, if you've got a picture of the cause that you will give an account someday, and that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins, you're going to be a new creature. Old things are going to be passed away. Behold, all things are going to become new. That is a practical verse. I've taught this passage to you word by word before. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is practical. Is everything new in your life? If it's not, there's a cause that should make them all new. That's how the Apostle Paul viewed things. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause. We're going to give an account of our lives. Jesus Christ died for us. Therefore, everything in our lives ought to be new because we're living for the cause of Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at Romans 12. Here the appeal is to the cause of God's mercies. I beseech you therefore, in the first verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Giving your lives as a living sacrifice to God is only a reasonable service for all that He has done for you. All that He has done for you has already been described in chapters 1 through 11. That's why we have the word therefore opening up this section of Romans. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What God in mercy has done towards you ought to lead you to live your life a living sacrifice for Him. That means giving up the things you would want by nature to do the things He has taught you in the Bible. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is the call of how to live the cause. We do not go fight a Goliath. We fight ourselves. We fight our own minds. And the second service this morning is going to be on that subject. Your thoughts can destroy your life. Right here we're told to renew our minds. So it is a mindset every day of how we're going to live as a living sacrifice to God. The cause is glorious. The cause is worthy of your full attention to live it like David. The Apostle John would say in 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. There's the cause. We're the sons of God. We're going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and spend eternity with Him. Therefore, it ought to purify our lives. Brethren, I want to tell you something, though, about this cause. This cause is divisive. If you follow this cause, you're going to lose friends in this world. So many verses I could take you to. 
on this subject. But I want you to look at a little obscure parenthetical mark in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The Lord Jesus Christ, wherever He went and wherever He goes, causes a division. Men either love Him or they hate Him. So there was a division in Israel wherever Jesus went. You're turning to Luke chapter 2. The Bible tells us that to those that believe, Jesus Christ is precious. To those that don't believe, He is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And they stumble over Him being disobedient, whereunto they also were appointed. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace in the world. I came to bring a sword, and a man's foes will be those of his own household. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. There's a cause. David had a cause, and Eliab, his oldest brother, accused him of being proud and naughty. So there was a division right there as David wanted to obey the Lord, and his oldest brother was a chicken and hadn't obeyed the Lord. Luke chapter 2, Simeon is speaking to Mary, the mother of our Lord. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus Christ was set up by God as a sign which would be spoken against, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. When Jesus Christ is preached, there's two responses. There is a dislike and a resentment and a hatred for that preaching, and it is a savour of death unto death to those that respond that way. Then there are those that believe, and it is a savour of life unto life. Either the cause of Jesus Christ moves you, or it doesn't. And the consequences are horrible by the evidence you give if it doesn't move you. Brethren, the cause is exclusive. You're going to be exceptional and different from the crowd. You have to be. There's only a few true worshipers of God in the earth. It is a wide gate and broad way, and many there be that go in thereat that leads to destruction. It is a straight gate, like a straight jacket gate, and a narrow way, and there's only a few that find it in the path of life and righteousness. If you follow the cause of Jesus Christ, you're going to be in a small company. Both John and Jesus were ridiculed for their righteousness and their worship of God. And as we had read this morning, Paul was accused of being mad, though he was most sober. And he said, I'm speaking words of soberness. The cause is extensive. If you're not willing to sacrifice the things in your life, if you're not willing to let the cause of Jesus Christ come in and dip into your pocket, into your pleasures, into your hobbies, into your spare time, into your family, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He turned to the multitudes that followed Him and said, If any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother, his wife, his brothers, his sisters, his children, his life, his houses, his lands, for my sake, he cannot be my disciple. That's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He must be all in all. That's the cause of serving the high King of Heaven. It's impossible for you to live the cause of Jesus Christ 
consistently and zealously and not be persecuted for it. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, especially in our generation. You take a stand for righteousness and Bible doctrine, you will be persecuted. The cause is pervasive. That means it gets into all parts of our lives. Look at Colossians chapter 3. I've quoted this verse to you, but it's good enough, important enough for you to look at it. Colossians 3 and verse 17. Colossians 3, 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That's the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there it is defined for us. Everything you do ought to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For His honor, for His glory, to magnify Him to any that would see your life. To please Him from the inside out is the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it's given to us as a simple commandment. Is that how you're living? Training children is not just a good idea. Training children is part of the cause of Jesus Christ. When you're too tired at night to take any time with your children, there's a question that you need to be asked or you need to ask yourself. Is there not a cause? And there is a cause. There is a cause. Those children were given to you by on loan. And it is your job to be faithful in training them for the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that fathers perpetuate the truth in their families by communicating it to the next generation, which in turn communicates it to the generation following. This is the cause. It pervades your whole life. Loving the brethren and serving them are not just nice-sounding words. Loving the brethren and serving them are a way of life to someone who is living the cause of Jesus Christ. They know that no matter how much a person might irritate them, no matter how different a person in the assembly might be from them, that person was bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and is a son of God, and therefore... I should love him and serve him because he is such. That is the cause of Jesus Christ. Anything and everything you do can be done to glorify Jesus Christ as David, when he stood forth and separated himself from that army of wimps and went out and faced Goliath. The whole army stood there and he had to distinguish himself by running out by himself alone to take on Goliath. It doesn't matter if others don't go with you. What matters is, are you following and fighting the Lord's cause? And that cause comes right down into your homes. It comes right down into mine. I've already mentioned that little point about why we work. It's to be able to have to give to Him that needeth. Because that's one of the kingdom rules of Jesus Christ. Hospitality should be no burden. Hospitality shouldn't be a pain or an expense. It should be a blessed privilege. Because you are doing something for the cause of Jesus Christ. You are promoting Him and His religion to others. Can you forgive others? When someone has wronged you or offended you, someone has irritated you, can you forgive them? Can you forgive them before they ask to be forgiven? You should be able to do that. Because that's part of the cause of Jesus Christ. Is there not a cause? 
Well, here's the cause. If ye, from your heart, do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. I'd say that's a pretty good cause. He has forgiven us. Therefore, we ought to be as forgiving and forbearing and long-suffering and merciful and gentle as He has been toward us. Do you delight in singing? Do you take great delight in singing? It's part of the cause. We saw it this morning in Psalm 47, verse 6. Sing praises. Sing praises unto God. Sing praises. It's part of the cause of Jesus Christ. It affects our whole lives. You can't think of any part of your life that I don't have the Word of God to address it. Amen. And that's the cause of Jesus Christ. Very few want to live it. They talk it, and they may sing it. They, might, they may mouth the words, but are they living it? We live in a generation where men have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. David lived in a generation where they had a form of military, but they denied the power thereof. All the men stood in ranks like a bunch of sheep, while there was one man that had the courage to go out and do something, and that was David. We have to be different from our generation, and I'm talking about our generation of Christianity. May the Lord help us to be that. You know what the Bible tells us? Look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39. This occurs throughout the Gospels, but it is a sober warning. A sober warning about the consequences of hearing about the cause and not following the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 10.39 says, And Jesus here is speaking about the sword that He would bring in families to test their love of Him. He said in verse 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The only way that a child of God can be happy in this world is to lose his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you try to save your life, if you try to protect some other cause in your life, you will lose your life. What that means, that doesn't mean you'll die on the spot. It means that you will live frustrated, lonely, unhappy, discontented, and loss of joy because you have tried to protect your cause, your life, your goals, your ambitions. See, the Christian life not only has a reward in heaven, it has promise of the life that now is, and it brings rewards with it now. If you lose your life for Jesus Christ, if you will give up the ambitions and plans and goals and causes of your own, or that others may have tried to give you, to limit your life to the one cause of Jesus Christ, that's how you find your life. True happiness can never be realized by a child of God unless the cause of Jesus Christ is their all in all. If a person can be happy, and they can't be in this world anyway, but if you could be happy, you can't do it without putting Jesus Christ first. There's a a reward later, and there is a reward in the present. Jesus Christ's words here are so good. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake, and that is the cause of Jesus Christ, shall find it. Do you remember when Peter saw the rich young ruler go away from Jesus Christ? Jesus had said, sell all that you have and give to the poor. Come follow me. Oh, that hurt deep, deep in his pockets. The rich young ruler wouldn't follow. 
And Peter said, Lord, look at us. We followed you. We've forsaken all to follow you. And Jesus said to him, Peter, no man has ever forsaken houses or brethren, sisters, mothers or fathers or lands for my sake that I do not give them a hundredfold more in this life and eternal life in the world to come. That's what it means right here. If you will lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. You're going to find it now a hundredfold better than if you had pursued your own agenda and you're going to have eternal life in the world to come. And putting Jesus Christ first is the evidence that the second reward is on its way. Because the Apostle Paul said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. He knew the cause, and he had given himself for the cause, and he said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. If you mind earthly things, and you think about earthly things, the Lord has a word for you, and several words in several places. You are a belly worshiper and the enemy of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Your God is your belly because you can't think any higher than your belly button. And satisfying the lust of your flesh with the things of this life. You're a belly worshiper. You don't have any cause except your own belly, and that's worm food. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. There's a glorious cause. Is there not a cause? Is a question you need to ask yourself. Are you like David? Are you going to step forth in faith and zeal and live every part of your life? Your mouth, your thoughts, second service will deal with that. And your feet where they take you and everything you do. Is it going to be in the same spirit and the same zeal of David and the son of David? who fought a good fight and who lived for the cause of magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. We can magnify Jesus Christ by life and by death. Right now we're living, so he asks for a living sacrifice by renewing our minds, by being transformed into a creature that has everything new and not being conformed to this world. We have a cause, and as soon as we end this service, that cause will come into play as to what you do. And even now, what you are thinking is whether you have committed to that cause or not. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He will have the last laugh against all his enemies. He will destroy you now and later if you are not his. Humble yourself before him. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Amen.